Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 378th edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. And we're broadcasting in this our ninth year across the world from Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California. And this is the place where technology meets entertainment. Wow, what a fantastic weekend. Both my teams, the LA Rams and the New England Patriots, both won their way through the Super Bowl. Fantastic, a fantastic day of football. Curled up in front of the TV for the day was brilliant. I have a big decision to make, of course, on Super Bowl Day, which is next week. Um, I've got to decide which one I'm going to support or neither. But, well, it'll be another good day. Yesterday was Martin Luther King Day in the US. And watching the replays of King's brilliant speeches made me think how far backwards we've come since he was bringing us the messages of peace and hope at the moment. With the government shutdown, with the presidency seemingly in disarray, Whew. Yeah, there's a lot to worry about. I want to send a shout out too to a guy, Steve Grant, who um, contact of mine, I don't know what's ringing, something's ringing, a contact of mine in Adelaide, and he's invented a fantastic sport called tri-ball. And, uh, you know, I can't, I can't find <laughs> Nine ball for three, eight ball for three people, and it's quite brilliant. And uh, he's from Adelaide in Australia, and one of the reasons that I mentioned it is because when I was marketing director for Formula One, the first Formula One race that I was marketing director of was in Adelaide, South Australia. So that brings back great memories. Steve's with a company called Sport Innovators. And uh, I'm looking to have him on the show in the next couple of weeks to talk about tribal because it's it's really an exciting concept. And this is a big week for us because next week, next Sunday, my wife and I have our legendary Australia Day party at the house. We get about 120 to 150 people, 50% Americans, 50% Australians. We've got a great lineup of talent from England, from Australia, from uh, all over the place. So we have a show that goes for about three hours or four hours uh, out on the deck, and it's quite a brilliant day. So it's going to be a fantastic week next week. Now, by tw- the US is the biggest economy in the world right now, but it could lose its crown as the world's biggest economy as soon as next year, according to data from Standard Chartered. And once it falls behind China, it's unlikely ever to regain the top spot as developing Asian economies power ahead. So in just 10 years, or maybe even less, the US will be third behind India. So by 2030, Asian GDP will account for 35% of global GDP, up from 28% last year and just 20% eight years ago. 
So Asian GDP will be the equivalent to the output of both the Eurozone and the US combined. So Asian GDP, bigger than the Eurozone and US combined. And more importantly, seven out of the world's 10 largest economies will be in Asia within 10 years. And China's most likely going to become the world's biggest economy by some point next year when uh, measured by a combination of purchasing power parity, exchange rates and nominal GDP. And using PPP alone, China's already considered the world's largest economy, but on a nominal basis, the UN, US remains just a bit in the lead. So not only will China likely overtake the US next year, but by 2030, it'll be joined by India with India's annual GDP rate growth set to accelerate from 6% now to 8% in a couple of years, and that will continue for the coming decade. India's trend growth will accelerate to 8% by the 2020s due to ongoing reforms, including introduction of a national goods and services tax, which is a GST, and the Indian bankruptcy code, which is total revision. And India's rise will also reflect a growing trend of Asia becoming the dominant region of the planet, economically speaking, as the size of its output starts to match the size of its population. So in 10 years, seven of the 10 largest economies in the world will be Asian. And that's got to be cause for, to, of thought for us because if we're going to maintain our standard of living and if we're going to continue to grow, we really have to lift our game. It may pose a threat to our security and our way of life. Now, if ever there was an argument for increased government spending on innovation to develop the economy and get back into the lead, take steps to increase efficiency and better educate our workforce, we need to do it and we need to do it now. It also highlights how destructive the US government's shutdown is to the economy. I mean, it's already cost something like $7.5 billion and it's now starting, the losses are now starting to accelerate. And the confidence of the US population is waning at a time when we should be unified and focused on growing the economy and improving our way of life. By 2050, just 31 years' time, USA, Japan and Germany will have all slipped down the global ratings, replaced by India and Indonesia, which are currently emerging markets, slipping out of the top 10 altogether of France and Italy, while the US slides from first place to third place, and China and India move into first and second. The biggest rise on the table is Indonesia, which will rise by 12 places, which is incredible. They're currently 16th, and they'll move to fourth. Now, of those that are countries that are falling, the biggest fall in economy in the world is Australia. That will fall 15 places from 13th in the world to 28th in the world. So as an Australian, although I've lived in the United States for over 30 years, that's a big concern. So Australia's going to drop 15 places in the top 32. It's by far the biggest drop of any country. 
So if you're looking for the best job prospects for your kids or for yourself in the future and the best places to live, it's worth keeping these trends in mind. And for those of us living in the United States, it's a sobering thought. We've really got to think how we're going to move forward. Do you get my daily 30-second read newsletter each day? We um, now have about 1.77, I think, million daily subscribers. We're one of the biggest newsletters in the world. It takes just 30 seconds to read, and every day we tackle a different subject. We talk about advances in medicine. We talk about new apps, new technology. We talk about Hyperloop, autonomous cars, blockchain. So if you want to keep abreast of all the new developments in business and technology and ensure that you're able to compete in this world that's changing rapidly, you've got to get the Bob Pritchard newsletter. Simply go to my website, which is bobpritchard.com, and enroll. It'll take you 30 seconds. And if you want to get stop getting it, all you do is hit the unsubscribe button and you're out of there. It's not like a lot of these newsletters where... No matter what you do, you can't get rid of the bloody thing. This one is easy. But nobody ever unsubscribes, so doesn't matter. Now, the massive growth in staffing numbers of tech firms in the increasing number of technology hubs across America, that's putting huge pressure on infrastructure. And more importantly, it's putting even bigger pressure on the availability of housing and the cost to either buy or rent From 2011 to 2018, the influx of Microsoft's 42,000 employees and Amazon's 25,000 employees have caused the median home price in Puget Sound near Silicon Valley to rise just on 100%, while medium household income in the area only went up 34%. Microsoft's pledged to invest $500 million in building affordable housing units to help alleviate the housing crisis near its headquarters in the Seattle area. And in cities like Seattle and San Francisco, the arrival of tech giants has been linked with skyrocketing rent prices in particular. Like other tech hubs, Seattle struggled to build enough CrossFit studios for the new residents and enough affordable housing for existing residents. Median income in the region hasn't kept pace with rising home costs, increasingly make it impossible for lower and middle income workers to afford to live close to where they work. Now, while it's great that companies like Microsoft step up and put in $500 million to build additional um, housing, is it really up to these companies to put in housing for the people that they employ? Shouldn't the government be building the infrastructure? I'm not sure about that. I'd love to hear from you and let me know. Now, to accommodate growing workforces, other tech giants have simply built private city centres in the form of multi-billion dollar campuses and private transportation systems. But Microsoft's trying something different, actually investing in the city that was already there, which makes a lot more sense to me. But a December report shows that the Seattle area needs 156,000 more affordable housing units to put roofs over the head of its population. So um, Microsoft's going to spend $225 million on middle-income housing, $250 million on low-income housing, 
and 25 million on homelessness. So I guess they're um, in order just to provide sufficient housing to address the population growth, they're um, providing houses before the jobs that they're creating creates more homelessness. <laughs> the other tech giants have been ignoring the solution of growing the housing in these cities, for example, by prioritising projects like the extravagant 1.1 billion Salesforce Tower, the 300 million Frank Geary designed Facebook campus, the 1 billion additional addition to the Menlo Park context, or Google's $1 billion campus in Austin, Texas, and another billion dollars in New York City, all creating more jobs and creating a bigger housing problem. So housing is become going to become one of the major issues. It's interesting that um, as those in America know, but as people around the world are probably aware, there's a, um, a government shutdown with a third of the government. And most of the people that have that have been stood down, which is 800,000 people. Most of them are in real trouble because they don't have enough savings to get them by and we're only a month in. So it just gives you an idea of how fragile the economy of most people is. Now, my guest after the short break is Ian Jones. He's an incredibly talented and experienced executive director of Nature's Coin, which I think is the most professional crypto that I have ever seen. And uh, one of the reasons that I love this is that they pulled together some of the biggest advisors and best advisors in the world, people like Alan and Overy, which is the world's seventh largest legal firm, Grant Thornton, which of course is the global financial and business advisors, Applied Blockchain and Block Advisory, and they're the number one blockchain developers for major global institutions, and Navora the government-approved token exchange developer, part-owned by JP Morgan and VSA Capital. So they have got one hell of an organisation and the Nature's Coin security token, is, it's really one to watch. And I'll be have Ian Jones on the line right after this short break. And it's Bob Pritchard broadcasting across the world this week from Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California. And I'll be back in just a moment. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com.
You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. We're over the past nine years. Gee, it doesn't seem like that long. We've given you an insight into the lives of some of the world's most interesting business people and the interesting and exciting new initiatives that they're venturing out on. We, we talk to the entrepreneurs behind these projects and we talk about the services they provide, the challenges that they faced, how they overcame them, and I guess deep down we try to ascertain what it is that makes them tick what makes them special because every entrepreneur with a startup faces the same issues and challenges that all business executives and entrepreneurs face. We all have the same problems and yet only two startups in every 100 succeed. So 98% fail. Now that's a pretty high failure, right? So that's why I urge people to surround themselves with mentors Get yourself some people around you who have been successful in the past, who business people. They don't have to be in the same field that you are, but have people that you can bounce things off. Don't get mentors that are cousins or uncles or brothers or sisters or people that'll be always nice to you. You want somebody who'll tell you straight out when you're wrong. And also listen to programs like these and buy biographies and autobiographies of about people who are successful. Now, as we've discussed many times in this program, there's been an explosion of cryptocurrencies and projects using the blockchain over the past couple of years. There are now around 3,000 cryptocurrencies. And according to Marius Kramer, who I've spoken about many times in this program, he's the number one Bitcoin writer on Quora worldwide. And he's really great reading almost every single day of the week. According to Marius, there's uh, only about 10 coins that, um, or tokens that represent good value. And I know quite a lot of people that have set up coins or tokens around an idea. But I know very, very few that have really done it properly. Many of them have got up, come up with an idea and have a coin on the market within a month or two. And for many, it was a way to make quick money from an ICO. But this week's guest is an unbelievable history with over 30 years in intellectual property commercialization. He's a managing director and a CEO. He's been in media, financial services, biotechnology, property, and agribusiness. He's, he's really a well-rounded guy. And he surrounded himself with an exceptional board of senior corporate leaders. And they've got decades of experience in private and public companies, NGOs, and governments across the globe but not satisfied with having a fantastic board they have also pulled together some of the best advisors in the world firms like Alan Overy the world's seventh largest legal firm and Grant Thornton global financial and business advisors applied blockchain and block advisory who are the number one blockchain developers for major global institutions and Navora the government-approved token exchange developer, part owned by J.P. Morgan and VSA Capital, which, as you probably know, is the investment bank founded by ABN AMRO executives. 
So I've never seen a blockchain company with so much firepower before. And as you know, um, I've been heavily involved with lots of conferences on um, crypto and on ICOs. And uh, this one is really quite exceptional. The project's called Nature's Coin. And uh, it's arguably the most professional blockchain operation out there to date. Nature's Coin is an asset Based-backed security token, so it's not really a cryptocurrency. So it's not a Bitcoin clone. It seeks to fill the gap between decentralized economies and real-world use. It's practical. Based on blockchain technology, it's developed by brilliant business and tech thinkers who have focused on putting real value into the Nature's Coin security token. Now, one of its most attractive features is that it solves real-world problems that affect everyone. How to make the world more environmentally sustainable and socially responsible. As you know, if you've listened to this program for a long time, I've um, been involved in many, many discussions with NGOs and with um, small enterprises, particularly in Africa. And there are a million problems around getting funding making sure the funding's used wisely and determining the outcome of the use of that funding. They're all really difficult problems. Well, Nature's Coin is using the power of blockchain to convert corporate commitment to environmental and social causes from a cost, which it currently is, to a tradable balance sheet asset. Corporations are pressured to do more social and environmental good but at the same time, they need to deliver increasing return on investment. So it's getting more and more difficult to generate money from the corporate world that is just going into a pot that no one is responsible for. Their nature's coin lets them do both. It's a game changer for the corporate world and it's a game changer for the planet. It's quite a breathtaking leap to connect blockchain, corporate investment, environmental sustainability, but that's just what the Nature's Coin, Nature's Coin team has done. And I have Ian Jones, who is a brilliant guy, on the line. Hi, Ian. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. You're being heard right around the world. Hi, Bob. Uh, thanks for inviting me to your program. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Nature's Coin is an extremely well-structured security token with some of the best advisors in the world. Now, those things don't happen quickly. How long has it taken to pull all this together? Well, Bob, it's taken a little over 12 months to get it to where we are now. Um, back in 2017, we were trying to make sense of the, the cryptocurrency frenzy and the underlying business models to see where there might be opportunities. Yes. We saw that the real story wasn't Bitcoin or the crypto hype. In fact, it was the transformational power of blockchain to do amazing new things. And curiously, at the same time, we just happened to be reading various reports about how the current structure of the financial markets make it unattractive for companies to invest in eco-friendly and sustainable projects, as you've outlined, and also how the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals uh, needs massive support from the business world, but it wasn't just happening. And uh, that got us all thinking. And once we joined the dots, we realised that we could use blockchain to solve that big problem for corporations, 
which is they've been pressed to do more for social causes, but they're reluctant to do it because it's a cost which affects their profits and therefore their shareholding. And also the problem faced by the sustainable development goals, which need corporate investment but aren't getting it. So as as you've outlined, in simple terms, our model converts corporate and environmental uh, social responsibility contributions from a cost to a tradable investment asset, and that makes it attractive for companies instead of being a a burden to do so. Uh, The blockchain also delivers transparency in governance, which corporations have to be accountable to shareholders and the markets like. So we pulled all that together over a period of uh, several months. Once we've got the model right, uh, we realised we needed world-class advisors, and uh, we did that over 2018, and now uh, here we are. It, it's it's fantastic, but I've, I've spoken to literally, I don't know, probably 50 um, projects in Africa that need funding that um, represent probably good long-term investments, but securing funds for them is extremely difficult because the corporate world has the feeling that, you know, it's, they're not accountable and... Uh, you give the money, you're not quite sure how much of the money is actually going where it's supposed to be going. And uh, it's it's just too risky. It looks too irresponsible. So yeah. you provide funding for worthy projects and those investments can generate profits, as I've just said. So how does the Nature's Coin Security token fit into this? I mean, it's one thing to, to um, invest money and get money from a corporation and then invest it. And how, did, how does the security token fit in? Okay, when when we first began Nature's Coin, uh, it was actually labelled as an asset-backed cryptocurrency because back then the, the concept of a security token hadn't even been thought of by anyone. Yeah. Um, but as, as managers of public and private companies over many decades, we were actually rather troubled by the whole cryptocurrency sector, which really was just focused on conjuring tokens out of thin air without regard to real value or proper regulations. Yes. So we knew our model was was completely different and needed the right approach. So it was obvious to us that we would link the Nature's Coin token directly to a real project that was generating value in terms of commercial and social return. Um, and as a result, every owner of the Nature's Coin security token can be comforted by the fact that it has something real behind it Yes. But it's making a positive contribution to the planet and through the blockchain it is directly linked to a specific project. Yeah. So as the investment generates a return or the accumulation of all the different investments generate a return, the value of the security token increases so people um, can see the return that they're getting, and it's also liquid, isn't it? You can they can um, cash in their security tokens if they if they wish to, and um, get a return on investment. So that's that, that's correct. It's um, uh, we operate like an economy, uh, not just a simple blockchain with a smart contract, and and so as the as the value of the economy grows. Uh, as the value of the underlying asset grows and the returns, the commercial returns from those assets are funneled back into the blockchain, 
then there is upward pressure on the uh, value of the token, which, as you say, can, because it's a, a regulated security token, it can be traded on regulated exchanges at any time. So why is Nature's Coin different from other cryptos and security tokens who also say that they're working on sustainable development and the UN goals? Um, well, we're actually very unique. There's no other enterprise that resembles us uh, in, in total. Um, as we've said, we're, we're an asset-backed security token, a regulated security. Uh, we're also a stable security token, and that eliminates the extreme volatility which plagues a lot of the you know general cryptocurrencies. But this makes it attractive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. I mean, no, nobody likes to see their investment go down by eighty or ninety percent. Mm. Um, obviously, um, but uh, by eliminating the volatility, because we're focused on really the corporate and fund management investment market, um, it makes it attractive to corporations. So we're not a cryptocurrency, as you've mentioned, and we're certainly not a cryptocurrency play. Um, we operate like an economy. In fact, we've been labelled as the ecology economy, um, and that means we support any sustainable development, not just these sort of niche programs like carbon credits or food certification or green energy or forestry conservation and so on. Um, so we're broad-based. And uh, everything, whether that's an environmental cause or a social cause, uh, is um, of interest to, to us. Um, the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, of those 17 broad-based goals, only around six of them relate to what people would traditionally think of as eco-conservation type causes. Right. Uh, the, other, the other 11 are for... Uh, social and empowerment causes, economic self-determination, indigenous rights, women's rights, all, all those kind of things. Each one is equally important. And, and so what we wanted to do was to not cherry-pick uh, the Sustainable Development Goals, but really create a new class of social capital that supports all these activities to make the world fairer and more prosperous, environmentally sustainable for, for everybody. And I think that makes us unique because no one else that we're aware of has that um, that vision. Um, we put together our operations to be, in fact, a corporation. Uh, we are a corporation that, that is managing a broad-based investment ecology economy. Yep. Uh, and for that, we need world-class and lead, leading um, legal accounting and blockchain advisory firms, which, which we have. Um, and our executive managers, which you've all already mentioned, are experienced in um, all forms of uh, corporate management. We've got current and former United Nations, Indigenous sustainability and youth leaders um, from um, three continents. So, yeah, I think we're very different from anything else that has uh, those sort of unique eco-conservation type focuses out there. So, just a question that occurred to me is... How will you determine what projects to invest in? What's the process? Okay. Um, when we first kick off the, uh, the Nature's Coin uh, economy, we'll have a series of projects that we will be introducing ourselves and we're working on a range of those. We tend to look for uh, what we call white-label type projects. In other words, things that are not capital intensive, don't require a huge amount of investment and can be implemented in a number of places. And some of those include hemp, bees, some agribusiness projects, 
some right. forestry projects, uh, and a range of things, um, and most of which, as I say, can be replicated anywhere. Um, we are also looking at a number of uh, existing World Bank funded projects, uh, which operate out of uh, Central Asia at this point in time, uh, looking at acquiring those. So we will kind of kickstart the economy with, with a number of projects. From there on, uh, it's really open to uh, individual corporations to bring their projects on board or just invest directly in the fund and there'll be a series of processes by which we'll choose and select other projects. We'll be inviting people to propose their own projects as well. So it'll be a very participative economy. Obviously, each project needs to go through the appropriate um, due diligence uh, examination. And again, we're putting together the uh, advisory and professional teams to allow that to happen, to do the commercial due diligence, the risk and governance due diligence, and all the environmental sustainability and social governance due diligence as well that needs to hang in the part of it. So it's, it's quite a process. Uh, these will go through that pipeline and then will be automatically onboarded into, into, the, um, into the economy. Okay. So how does the Nature's Coin blockchain work? Okay, um, so essentially we operate like an ethical managed fund uh, whose assets are secured in the blockchain. Yep. So when money is invested, it generates a, a, a security token at whatever the dollar value uh, nature's coin exchange rate is at that particular time. Um, and these security tokens, less the various fees uh, in generating them, are owned by the investor, uh, whether that investor is a corporation or another fund or, or a person, and they can sell them, hold them, give them away to customers or shareholders. The invested money is then allocated to uh, an approved sustainable project and that's pro that project is actually owned by the blockchain or co-owned by the blockchain and the project developers. Um, the revenue from the project is then divided between the project itself uh, to give a return to the operators and to the blockchain, which is what we use to increase the value of the tokens. So it's it's a reasonably straightforward process as to how it works. But by channeling it through the blockchain, we create all these interesting new innovative ways that we can uh, get people involved, get corporations involved, make it attractive, and to really amplify the uh, flow and effect of investing in sustainable causes. With the... Um due diligence process, is there a risk that um, smaller worthy projects that um, don't really have a history or whatever, I mean, is there a, a, a size limit to what you can invest in? Well, uh, you, you mean an upper size limit or a lower a, size? A lower, <laughs> excuse me, a lower size limit. Um, no, I, I don't believe so. The actual the actual uh, investment criteria and parameters are, are still under development. Um, obviously, as an economy, if you think of the, the US economy or the Australian economy or, or any other economy, uh, it's really comprised of a whole series of, of participants, whether they are individuals, whether they are small um businesses or whether they're medium or large-sized businesses. So we see, because we operate as an economy, that there, there is a place for everybody, providing they are operating you know, in accordance with the criteria and standards as set by the Sustainability Development Goals, the United Nations yep. Sustainability sure. Development Goals. 
and they're, they're operating ethically and in accordance with the due diligence and audit requirements which will be in place uh, to you know, manage the ongoing uh, operations of the economy. Right. Another difference from the overwhelming majority of cryptos, I guess, is you're not using an off-the-shelf Ethereum clone like 90% of other people are, or one of the other standard blockchains. Why have you chosen to use a different model? Uh, Bob, it's, it's because we're an economy and not just a simple smart contract uh, related to generally one asset class. Um, and our economy includes people, corporations, NGOs, non-government organisations and governments. And they'll all participate in, in different ways and at different frequencies. Um, and so none of that fits an off-the-shelf Ethereum clone or any of the other standard blockchains, to be honest, and we've looked at most of them. So our advisory teams, what, what we are doing is our advisory teams are now doing our economic modelling of how the economy is going to work. Right. Based on that design, our blockchain developers then will build the right blockchain uh, for us, for our model. Okay. That makes sense. So how does Nature's Coin change the paradigm for corporations and individuals that want to invest in socially responsible programs? Apart from... Um, well, yeah, well, it changes it, uh, uh, yeah, it changes it a lot. Um, I mean, one of, the, one of the rules of thumbs that we've all had as, as business developers and entrepreneurs is that businesses succeed because they solve someone else's frustration with the current way of doing things. And we've already spoken, and there's a lot of frustration in the, you know, the sustainable eco-conservation world. There sure um, is. We've already spoken about, yeah, corporations are being pressured to, to do more environmental and social causes, but that's cost to them, which reduces profits. And, and that's a real dilemma for boards, and I, I sit on a, a number of boards and I know that very well. So we can change that by making it into an asset instead of a cost. Um, the asset being the Nature's Coin security token, it becomes a tradable liquid asset so they can move it around whenever they want. Now, that's going to make boards and shareholders everywhere very happy, and CFOs, of course, uh, because suddenly we've flipped the whole model and solved that frustration for them, is how do they do good when it's a cost to them? Um, we make it into a um, investment asset. For people, you know, their frustration is they donate to causes, but they read about how most of it gets spent on administration by the NGOs, or they recycle and do the right thing. Yep. But it never seems to make any difference because vested interests just keep denying the world has a problem and, and doing the wrong things. But instead, sort of by donating via the Nature's Coin blockchain, this time they can see exactly where their dollar goes and it can't be undone. Um, they can also vote by participating in the Nature's Coin economy with their wallets and support corporations and brands that are doing the right thing. So we wanted to, our fundamental theme that we wanted to build within the Nature's Coin economy is the process of, the process of empowerment. In other words, giving the power back to people to make a difference, giving the power back to corporate boards to be able to make a difference because it's no longer a cost them, that's a positive contribution and it gives brand development opportunities and by giving the power and trust back to governments and uh, non-government organisations which have by and large uh, lost the trust of the people um, because there's a lack of transparency. So it's it's a whole paradigm across the mix of, of the people, corporations, NGOs and governments who participate in our economy that we want to solve. Yeah, when you, when you speak to um, NGOs 
or the the entrepreneurs themselves at the grassroots or corporations, um, everybody's unhappy. No one likes the current situation. Nobody trusts anybody else. Everybody thinks that the other person's ripping off money. It's it's really a mess out there, and that's affecting the amount of money that's getting donated or invested. Yeah, that's- that, that, that's, that's exactly correct. I mean, the, you know, when you read the, uh, the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals and its objectives and all those kind of things, uh, you know, they make it very clear that uh, everyone needs to participate in this, people, corporations, governments, NGOs. It's, you know, it's not just the United Nations initiative. Um, and uh, that was released in 2015, and here we are sort of three and a bit years later, still really not achieving the goals we are because the current system doesn't allow that to happen because of financial markets, the vested interests, all those kind of things. And so when we connected the dots about blockchain and, the, and all the problems within the current system, we realised that instead of trying to fix the existing broken system, we could in fact create a new one and that's what we've done. Corporations, um, I think, Many people have confused Bitcoin uh, with blockchain. People, a lot of people don't understand the difference between cryptocurrencies and, and the blockchain. At corporate level, do you think that boards, do you sit on boards, do you think boards really understand how blockchain um, can um totally disrupt the way we do business? Do, they, do you think that they really understand it at the moment or are we still in that early learning process? We're still in a relatively early stage. Um, the the process, you know, the cryptocurrency blockchain evolution by and large mirrors what happened with the, you know, with the dot-com boom. Um, yeah. You know, the dot-com really started because there was the internet and the internet was there really to transfer um, information from one party to another and then suddenly everybody got the great idea that we could use it as an alternative marketplace, in other words, you know, yep. e-commerce. Um, and uh, so everybody sort of piled onto the e-commerce bandwagon um, without giving any thought as to how they were actually going to execute it and deliver it back in the days when it was still dial-up modems and this and all that, all those other things. And I remember the world. The, yeah, I mean... You know, there was no 4G, let alone 5G. There wasn't even 1G in those days with mobile phones. So, the, you know, the, the infrastructure in the world wasn't ready for it and, and everybody came up with highfalutin business plans and it all fell to bits. Um, but out of that emerged Google and Amazon and eBay and PayPal and all so, these other things which, uh, and which made a huge difference to our lives. In a similar way, um, it was only in 2009 that um, the original blockchain with Bitcoin architecture was released. Uh, it had limited use, um, but then uh, you know certain elements in society could see that it was a way to move money between parties um, outside the regulatory system, which obviously appealed to you know uh, criminals and and other people that wanted to avoid regulatory checks. The price of uh, Bitcoin skyrocketed because it's simply a supply and demand thing. Um, yep. You know, these uh, these things are created out of thin air. There's nothing behind them except the expenditure of electricity in generating in here and solving the algorithm that generates them. That, that actually um, that actually might be more 
behind it than there actually is in the U.S. paper dollar. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not going to buy into that one. Um, the, uh, but, but, yeah, and so when that became attractive and then – but obviously Bitcoin had a very limited use. It was just transferring sure. uh, value from one to the other, one party to another. Uh, and then when Ethereum was created uh, several years later because they realised, you know, we could use this same mechanism to transfer other pieces of value – then um, that led to an explosion of applications. It was fueled by the increasing rise of Bitcoin and you know, a whole lot of people realised they could make quick money outside the regulatory system and then suddenly that, uh, you know, we had that bubble that happened, um, you know, through into... Early last year. I guess year. late... Two, yeah, late 2017, early 2018. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we really came into the sector in that 2017 and we were looking at it. And as I say, we, we liked the underlying blockchain architecture, which is really a way to move value from one party to another outside the normal system yeah. um, in a totally trusted way, but we didn't like the cryptocurrency story. Um, and realised it was only a matter of time before it, it became a regulated market because the technology was too good. Sure. Uh, and that's exactly what happened last year. And because of that sweeping out of the cowboys, if I could put it that way, um, we now have most of the, or many of the large corporations starting to take an interest in, in blockchain. Uh, we've got several stock exchanges, including yes. Australian stock exchange. Uh, are already already running um, parallel trading systems on blockchain um, and intend to go fully live on that. I think it's in 2020. And insurance companies and banks and all of yeah, the major you know, yeah, industries are that's now right. using blockchain one way or another. Yep, uh, and, and my view is in the next decade, uh, we'll see that almost anything that involves transfer of value from one party to another, uh, including supply chains, logistics, all these kind of things, will be done on blockchains, whether they're private or public blockchains, whether they have cryptocurrencies or not, it will be a variety of models, but it, it will become a mainstream thing. So and most forward-thinking larger corporations are certainly involved in either developing or analysing their own uh, application of blockchains in the future. So how does Nature's Coin build trust? Um, well, uh, blockchain itself is, of course, um, said to be the you know the trust mechanism. Sure. Um, so once a transaction is locked into the blockchain, because it can't be altered and it's yep. available for everyone can see exactly how it's spent. So it gets around for people. It gets around you know the problem of if I donate to a cause, does it end up where I want it to go? Um, and the answer is, in this case, yes, they can, because they can see it. It doesn't go into the coffers of some NGO or, or, or some charity, uh, and they never know how it's, how it's spent. So it becomes, um, you know, people can trust that what they're doing is uh, is ending up where, where they want it to go. For um, uh, for corporations, of course, they're interested, as you, as you mentioned, in... Um, uh, risk management and governance and they also want to see that if they invest in a, in a certain cause or a sustainable project that the money's not siphoned off and, and gone elsewhere and again that's that's the that's the blockchain mechanism allows that to happen plus also obviously the other uh, examination and due diligence 
uh, and project management um, uh, things that we put in place uh, around the operations of the economy. I, I still think that the most important thing um, to build trust with Nature's Coin is the people behind it and the way you've structured the company, I think, is um, is going to be the most most important thing. Um, the, the track record of the people involved and the corporations that you've got advising you um, are going to be the thing that, um, at least in the initial stages, encourages people to invest. Yeah, yeah, thanks. And, and, and we thought so too, which is uh, in terms of the advisory team and everything like that, uh, and, and, and the corporate managers and other people, and we're building our team continually um, to, uh, you know, to add people that have experience in areas that uh, we certainly don't, um, and gradually expanded, and then have the whole thing monitored by our one, our leading uh, legal and uh, accounting and financial management teams. Yeah. So, will there be a limit to the number of tokens that you issue? Uh, no, there won't, Bob. It, it will be unlimited. Um, the reason is we're an asset-backed security token, not a yep. cryptocurrency where these things are artificially sort of puffed into existence. So that because every token is backed by a real asset that provides an underlying value and, and generates return, the limited token issue model doesn't apply. Um, and, and because we're an economy and every time a new release of tokens happens, it's backed by initially money uh, and, and a project. And so the economy, like even though we're a virtual economy, like any real economy, we just continue to grow and grow and grow. So there's no sense in limiting the money supply within yes. this broad-based economic model. So, of course, the value of these tokens increases. Why? I can give you the answer. Um, <laughs> yeah, Uh well, as the nature's coin economy grows, um, you know, its overall value increases and uh, as more and more corporations and people want to be part of it, just like any social network, um, then the overall breadth and depth of the economy grows, which is going to grow the value of the, uh, of the underlying tokens. Um, as people seeing that it is a good investment, good financial investment, and it is doing good, there will be an increasing demand for that. So the whole um, this generates an accelerating expansion of the economy and keeps pushing up the value of the of the token. Um, we also use because people are involved in in um, in the economy as well. As this is not just a you know, institutional fund managers play. This this has people. Um, we use interactive media that can generate exposure, um, sure. enhance knowledge of our operations, lift excitement, interest, token circulation, and all those kind of things. So uh, it's very much a participative economy to uh, to get people involved, to get corporations involved, and, and to grow up by that way. So there's a whole range of mechanisms that we use to grow the, the actual underlying value of the token. Ian, as I said earlier, I think it's a fantastic initiative and, and you've gone about it certainly the right way and more thoroughly than any other um, blockchain or, or crypto that I've seen, ICO that I've seen. So I want to thank you very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. I really appreciate it. Now to contact Thanks, Ian, Bob. 
pleasure. To contact Ian and to find out more about Nature's Coin, go to Nature's Coin, N-A-T-U-R-E-S-C-O-I-N.com. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and Voice America Business Channel after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show. And we come at your Voice America Business Network from Hollywood Boulevard, not technology and entertainment capital of the world, Hollywood, California. Well, that was a great interview, wasn't it? Nature's Coin. What a fantastic concept. They've really gone about it the right way, spent a lot of time and a lot of money. And I think it's going to be a monster. So that was a, that was a fantastic interview, I thought. Now, in the early 70s in Atlanta, Susan Bennett was singing in clubs. She was the backup singer for Burt Bacharach and Roy Orbison, and she was working in recording studios, doing backup vocals and singing jingles. She did jingle and voiceovers for hundreds of companies, including Coca-Cola, McDonald's, Macy's, Goodyear, IBM, and a whole bunch of other people, and she was also the um, – character that personalized the ATM machine with Tilly, the all-time teller, and it became the most successful ATM machine in the United States. But in July of 2005, Susan Bennett was hired by Scansoft to record a bunch of material. And of course, she gave them permission to use a voice anywhere. So for an entire month, Every day, five days a week, she sat in a studio reading weird sentences that made absolutely no sense. Sentences like militia, oi, hallucinate, backram, okra, ooze, and cow hoist in the tub hut today, and cathexis, the fatally sexual ease stump. And then there was other sentences where they would just change the vowel each time. Say the shrotting again. Say the shroding again. Say the shreeding again. Say the shriding again. Say the shrading again. Say the shrudding again. So she went on with this, the same pitch, same tone, same pacing. It was tedious and tough on the vocal cords. And she was not told what the recordings would be used for and was just paid a standard hourly rate. Now, Scansoft records interactive voice response systems. So the voice talent wears a little belt over their vocal cords, which is called a, a laryngograph, which measure the wavelengths of their speech for consistency. These recordings are then chopped up into syllables and sounds, and then a computer can combine them into any phrases and sentences that it wants. So little did she know that these recordings would be made for Apple and that six years later her voice would be recognised by millions of people all around the world as Apple's Siri. She didn't know about it until a fellow voice actor called her and said, gee, that voice sounds like you. She was never contacted by Apple 
and she never got paid by Apple. She didn't get any kind of compensation for being on tens of millions of devices. So none of the early series had non-disclosure agreements, and that's why all of them are now speaking up. So starting with OS 11, the voice was changed, and today's actors are paid not to reveal who they are. Because your voice is like a fingerprint. It's your intellectual property. But people like Bennett signed a contract to do the work, but they didn't understand the ramifications. So a lot of people thought that the original Siri had an attitude. Bennett's got an acerbic sense of humor, and it came through with a voice a little. So starting with iPhone 5, Apple changed the voice by technologically manipulating a voice to sound a little bit more friendly. So Bennett still does voiceover work and is involved with a podcast called Jones Show and plays in a band called The Boomers Gone Wild in Little Covenant Atlanta and plays nothing but 60s and 70s rock and roll. So that's when next time you listen to Siri, think about that. Remember, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. It's easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary Anybody can be ordinary. Ordinary is boring. Stop trying to be normal. Let your head out a bit. And I hope you can join me again next Tuesday while I'll again be broadcasting from our studios on Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood. And this is the place where technology meets entertainment. In the meanwhile, have a great week and continue to be successful because the alternative to success really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.